Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And today we are going to address an issue uh, regarding should Christians observe Halloween? Are we going to have spook- spooky music? Oh, I forgot. I was going to make a howling wolf as our intro. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ah. How is that? There you go. Bam. So Halloween's coming up. What you going as this year? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't ready for that one, huh? I was not even remotely. <laughs> you know, the one moment you said that, I, I was, um, my mind immediately went to a, a picture I saw on somewhere. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter, but it was like this guy has already won the award for best Halloween costume. And it was a Christian who posted it, and it was of a like a seven to ten year old boy dressed up as Elton John, uh, reclining on a piano, all decked out. Oh sure. Um, yeah. And then, but his real legs are you know walking, and I and I was so bugged. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's what we want. We want a homosexual guy who's blatantly creepsing around with this and that that's what you want to be i, I just got angry yeah but he gets to wear sequins so sequins <laughs> I, I know <laughs> anyway uh so <laughs> i was just admiring my granddaughters I, I my description of my number two uh granddaughter catherine was i said wow you're sparkly today and she says thanks papa <laughs> and she gets all excited <laughs> and yeah. i'm like wow that's a lot of sequins going on there anyhow yeah. that's what should be on a girl agreed very much so so uh we um <laughs> we get some questions. i think we get a question that every year related to this we've just never done it but uh we got one this year so should should christians celebrate the holiday of halloween um you know, is this something that's permissible? Is it something that's forbidden? Is it permissible, but wise to avoid? You know, so what is a biblical perspective and how should Christians think about this? Well, depending on what you mean by celebrate Halloween, the answer is simple. Um, But before we give that answer, uh, we're gonna give you a little bit of history because we think it'll help clarify uh, the issue a little bit. so, so what we're going to do is talk about where Halloween came from and why is it even a holiday. So uh, the origins, and I understand the sources vary on this. It's probably going to be some like Halloween historian author is going to write us an email, but we, we won't read it. We don't care. Um, so the, this is where uh, Halloween essentially came from. So depending on who you talk to, again, they're going to disagree, but this is this would just be the general or popular consensus. So first of all, in recent Western history, which the U.S. of course is part of, um, first of all, Halloween is a it's a contracted word if you didn't know, and it's contracted from the phrase Hallow's Eve, um, and Hallow's Eve is called Hallow's Eve because it comes right before something known as All Saints Day. Um, so when you hallow something, it's to to make it or regard it as holy, like when Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, hallowed be thy name. Uh, it's to make it holy. 
And so All Saints Day is a day in which saints or holy people are remembered and celebrated for their faithfulness. And often this includes great people of faith in church history and especially martyrs. And so Halloween or Hallow's Eve, if you will, is simply the day before this religious observance of remembering faithful saints. Furthermore, Halloween, if you didn't know, kicks off a three-day celebration that runs from October 31st to November 2nd, something known as All Hallow Tide. And that's all one word. Um, and this includes Hallow's Eve, uh, All Saints Day, and then the third one, um, something known as All Souls Day. And so All Souls Day is a Catholic day in which the faithful departed are commemorated. <laughs> Commemotreed. Yeah, I believe the way you spelled that was commemotreed. <laughs> well, that was, that was Google Drive. Oh, okay, not, not the typist. I mean, look at that. There's not even a red squiggly under that one. I know. That's what amazes me. Yeah. It's like, <clears throat> come on. Again, they understand this is my drive. They've given up. So um, the, uh, All, All Souls Day was a day to remember, the, quote, the faithful baptized. That is those who are currently in purgatory and working off the debt of their lesser guilt. So, so that's essentially the more recent Western history of it. Um, it has its roots uh, at least more recently in Christianity, specifically in the form of Roman Catholicism. And so it does have overt religious associations. Now we could get into more details on that, but just that alone makes it enough for us to say that Halloween in involving actually the whole three-day festival would be wrong. It's mystical and wicked. So it's just, it's not something yep. a genuine believer should participate in. In fact, what the Roman Catholic Church means by remembering the holy is not just think about them, but pray for those in purgatory, you're trying to get them out. And so Catholic doctrine says it this way, the prayers of the faithful on earth will help cleanse these souls in order to fit, fit, fit them for the vision of God in heaven. And the day is dedicated to prayer and remembrance. So you're just, this is a special day where you're working especially hard to try to get your Aunt Edna out of purgatory. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we would reject it um, because it's simply something that's uh, unbiblical and actually overtly wicked. I think people need to start saying that more often than they do about some of these doctrines of Catholicism. Purgatory is heretical. The idea of praying for a dead person to become purified is heretical. All of it diminishes the atoning work of Jesus Christ, and specifically because it's a system that's really based on merits that are earned by saints within the Catholic tradition and system. And so, simply put, it's all wicked. It's sinful if that's what you're doing when you're trying to celebrate Halloween. Yeah, even though it claims to have roots in what's called Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some variations on this more uh, recent version or development of Halloween. Um, in other cultures, Halloween's associated with something called the Day of the Dead. Um, this is something, for the most part, uh, most prominent in Mexico and specifically in the central and southern regions of Mexico. And it's now, in fact, regarded as a public holiday. Um, I can't remember. I think it was since 2008. Uh, it's a major celebration in which family and friends gather to pray for those who have died and this prayer helps these dead loved ones on their spiritual journey it's actually a, a type of syncretism because it has a lot of uh roman catholic overtones to it but it's also based upon paganism um, which roman catholic church is infamous for throughout the world where they just kind of blend Lip things in african now, yeah. tribal mission uh, uh, 
religion or your South American, Central American religions, all of that kind of stuff. They, they all have Santeria. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Have you? Oh, that's a, it's a version of voodoo, which is a, and voodoo is actually juju, which comes from West Africa. Yeah, yeah. And it got corrupted and called voodoo in Haiti. And then it comes across into the South America Latin cultures and it became Santeria. But it's got and this Rome. New Orleans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's this Roman Catholic animistic weird stuff. And that's what's going on with the all, whatever yeah, this yeah. thing's called, the Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead, yeah. <clears throat> so in, in Mexican culture, um, death is simply viewed as a natural part of the human cycle. And so praying for the dead is helping them in this next part of their cycle. And so the day it, uh, is, is not viewed as a time of sadness or mourning uh, per se, but rather as a day of celebration in which these, again, dead loved ones actually awaken from the dead and celebrate with them. Which is creepy. Um, yeah, a little bit. Uh, so, so this was a practice... Uh, historically that took place at the beginning of the summer. Uh, but when the Spanish had colonized in the 16th century, the celebration gradually became associated with October 31st through November 2nd to coincide with that all hallow tide, those three days we talked about with the um, Roman Catholic tradition. Yeah, so that's that syncretism. And, and so obviously, again, we would say it's a wicked practice as well. It dabbles in the occult. Uh, very strong on the mysticism. It's evil. No true Christian can partake in such activity. Um, but again, this is something popular in Mexico in many ways, as we've already said, interwoven with Roman Catholicism practice in Mexico. Now, some deeper origins. When you trace a holiday back even further, it seems to have its ultimate roots in something known as the Festival of Samhain, which is spelled S-A-M-H-A. <laughs> A-I-N, but it's, I believe it's Celtic, and it is, none yeah, of those yeah. letters hardly mean what you and I think, because we think it's Samhain, yeah. <laughs> but yep. it's Samhain. Um, well, but then when you look at Sean, S-E-A-N, you know, like, really, Sean, <laughs> uh, then you, you yeah. begin to realize that this is just, they, that's how they roll there in Ireland. Uh, but it was something among the Celts of ancient Britain and Ireland. So this took place on November 1st, which also started their new year in winter. And so during the Samhain festival, it was believed that the souls of those who had died and returned, uh, returned to visit their homes. And so here's what um, one article says. As a result, people set bonfires on hilltops for relighting their hearth fires for the winter and to frighten away evil spirits. And they sometimes wore masks and other disguises to avoid being recognized by the ghosts thought to be present. It was in those ways that beings such as witches, hobgoblins, fairies, and demons came to be associated with the day. The period was, all, the period was also thought to be favorable for divination on matters such as marriage, health, and death. And so obviously... This is where the tradition of masks and costumes start to come from. They, they weren't so much meant to scare as much as they were meant to hide and disguise themselves from being harassed by those who had died. So if someone had beef with you and they died? Kind of like COVID. Get that mask on. Get yep. that mask on. <laughs> then go rob the <laughs> dollar store. And you'll trick it. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, we're going to... Never mind. Okay. Um, <laughs> what's also interesting is that... I make no apologies. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. Um, so uh, what's also interesting is, here's another quote. At this festival of... Um, Samhain. Samhain. Uh, oh, I know. Uh, the, world of, the world of the gods was believed to be made visible to humankind, and the gods played many tricks on their mortal worshipers. It was a time fraught with danger, charged with fear, and full of supernatural episodes. Sacrifices and propitiations of every kind were thought to be vital, for without them, the Celts believed they could not prevail over the perils of the season or counteract the activities of the deities. So likely this is where the whole tradition of playing tricks or pranks, you know, trick or treat, uh, it, it came from. They were simply mimicking what the gods did to mortal men, or so they thought. So that's just a very, obviously, basic history. Uh, some what's, what's interesting, though, is, you know, you we were just talking about our our pat what's your ethnicity italian oh okay um so you're just full of roman catholicism there um yeah i'm, I'm english and german uh, my wife's irish um and you know it's it's got a strong judeo-christian history but prior to that it was just as much as what goes on in latin america or in africa with their african tribal uh Religions. It was a, it was a animistic, mystical, frightening place where they're afraid all kinds of different spirits and gods, and they're trying to placate them. And only when the gospel comes in does any of that begin to resolve itself, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's um, a good point. Um, so, again, none of these practices are things that true Christians we would say should be involved with, that they should spend their time celebrating or even remembering. It deals with the occult, with divination, mysticism. Uh, it contains terrible theology of things like the soul, the afterlife, the dead, uh, prayer, the extent of the atonement, the gospel. I mean, just a, a myriad of things. And uh, again, it has more recent developments in Roman Catholicism, which are very false, uh, such as things like purgatory. And so we would say that if this is what a Christian is trying to engage in, then that is very wrong. And so if this is what a person means by celebrating Halloween, uh, the answer is tremendously simple. Uh, the answer is no. Uh, we do not approve. We don't condone of this. Uh, it is, it's overtly anti-biblical, and such practices are forbidden over and over again all throughout the scriptures. So I should stop cutting the throat of a chicken and spreading the blood on my threshold? Well, you know, Wisconsin makes laws for that. <laughs> I mean, per permissible laws. No, no, I'm, I'm not kidding. Because the occult is huge here. There's all kinds of laws in our books that allow for animal sacrifices, and well, very bizarre. You ever have a chance? You should listen to our friends who have ministered in and around the Indian reservations of Wisconsin, and oh, the high yeah. degree of occultic yeah. activity that occurs. I mean, they've had some freaky things happen I can to imagine. them. Yeah. So. Anyhow, so yeah, we both would firmly tell you, if that's what you mean when you say celebrate Halloween, no. No, don't. <laughs> Questions? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> just don't. And if we find out you're doing it, you you would be warned first and then brought under church discipline. I mean, right? I was like, you don't get to do that here. Um, not at our church, at least. So what about trick-or-treating, though, right? Halloween parties, carving pumpkins, um, innocent tricks, Um as we have come to know them in our culture. Um, or what about that? When, if that's what you mean, right? That's what most people. What we think of when we think of well, Halloween. Least, yeah, right. what you and I think yeah, of, yeah. right. Um, 
would those be permissible or wise? Well, the question here is whether or not it's possible to engage in those activities and completely disconnect them from their historical origins. Um, and some will say no. Yeah. And so it's like, okay. Yeah. Um, so depending on your answer to that question, that will determine if you can or should even engage in them. And so it is our opinion that, yes, you can, depending, though. Um, so Christians, boy, you just are. Christina's. <laughs> I got it. Thank you. Uh, trying to read these scripts sometimes. Anyhow, I'm, I suffer. Uh, so Christians are accused all the time of baptizing pagan ideals. That is, they want to engage in something, so they just Christianize it and so on. Uh, that, on, on that principle, some will abstain because they think it's just a loophole. However, if that is the case, then you ought not engage in just about any holiday because so many of them have connections to uh, something pagan. Yeah. Uh, both Christmas and Easter are clear examples of that. They have origins in very pagan traditions. Um, just trace the history of the Christmas tree, which has its roots in the pagan tree worshipers of Europe, or the history of Easter, which goes back to Ishtar, which is the goddess of fertility, which is why we hide Easter eggs. I might add, you shouldn't even refer to our days of the week um, because they're all named after gods. Yep, that's um, true. But and our months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so if if your reasons for abstaining from trick or treating is based upon an argument of origins or because something's uh, one of their histories, well, that's fine. But then you have to abandon these other holidays too, like Christmas and Easter as well. And some do. I we have some in our sure. church that yeah. won't do it. Yep. Um, if you're going to be a consistent. Uh, with your argument. And because both of those holidays have essentially been baptized, if you will, by Christians, um, we now associate Christmas with Jesus's birthday and Easter with Jesus's death and resurrection. So if you're going to be consistent, you should never exchange a Christmas present again, and you should never bite into a chocolate Easter bunny again. So when you eat an Easter bunny chocolate, yeah. mind you, yeah. um, what do you bite first? The ears. I don't even like them because it's usually that really cruddy chocolate so i don't even like them but i oh, just no. do the i do either the tail or the face <laughs> see my mom gets us the good stuff and we go over there for easter and because she's been doing this since we were so you're saying children. you worship a pagan holiday well i'm i'm, I'm showing i'm showing my cards here yeah you know? uh so when we walk in on easter there's always a giant chocolate bunny on every single one of our plates, and she gets the good stuff. It is good, huh? It's not yeah. that stuff. It's not the hollowed out. You know, you bite into it, you think it, and then it's just. And then it's gritty because the yeah. sugar never even got dissolved, <laughs> yeah. and, and you, you immediately go into insulin uh, yeah. shock. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, now you all know. So we can disassociate, though, present practices from historical origins, or can we? Well, again, we, we actually think you can. Um, in fact, the principle here is that something's origins cannot determine its present morality. For example, uh, Jesus does this with the practice of baptism. It was a religious practice of John the Baptist that actually had its roots in the pagan system of Jewish religion um, that is nowhere to be found in the Old Testament. It was really big with the Essenes. Yeah. Um, and yet Jesus essentially baptizes the idea of baptism, which is a good, a cool point. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, well, in our day, we do this all the time, and we don't even know it. Um, so, for instance, uh, bonfires. This one's interesting. Bonfires have their origins in bone fires. Um, 
So th this is a pagan ritual of burning bones used for the purpose of divination. So shamans would write questions on bones and throw them in a small circle fire pit. And once the fire got hot enough, cracks would appear on the bones. And so the shamans would then essentially read these cracks to try and divine the hidden knowledge. When I read this, I was intrigued by it because I, I've been to Africa so many times and they have similar things um, with reading entrails, uh, reading the liver mm -hmm. of a goat. Um, they have this really weird and horrible one where death is just presumed to be the, somebody did a curse on you. Yeah. If I don't care if you're 99 and you had a brain tumor. Curse. You know, yeah, there's a curse. And so I was explained by one Cameroonian about how that works. Check this out. The guy dies. They bring the body out. Both families, the whole family, we're talking aunts, uncles, cousins, whole, almost half the village shows up into the courtyard of both sides, the husband and the wife, because what they have to find out is who's at fault. And so then they get this witch doctor. Um, and he cuts open the chest and exposes the heart. And depending on which way the heart flops, he then announces that it's that side of the family that somebody has done some sort of curse. I'm like, how to maintain <laughs> familial unity? It's like, it is your fault. And everyone's like, we had nothing. But I mean, that's what they're doing. Yeah, and but it's, it's, the same, it's the same stuff that in Europe. Back in the old days, yeah, these guys would do. Yep, same stuff. So, so go ahead. Yeah, so so we would ask, should we stop doing circle bonfires in our backyards? Um, well, we don't think so. You know, I mean, we're not we're not burning bones. We're not trying to be diviners. And so, uh, again, past ethical practices of bonfires does not determine its present meaning and morality for us when we want to do a marshmallow. Uh, another another one is bobbing for apples. Um, this has another. Uh, tradition and pagan origins. Uh, you know, this is a fall, a fall event. So, so we know it's fun. I find it absolutely disgusting. I like it, even though every I don't person care. has okay. Hence, I refuse to wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Better immune system through bobbing of apples. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I throw Naomi in there in a second, but um, so so. So it's a fall tradition, but it has its roots again in the Celts. It was a form of divination uh, stemming from the pagan goddess Pomona, uh, which is the goddess of plenty. And so during one of the annual festivals, the young unmarried people would go bobbing for apples. And the first one to, to get an apple essentially was thought to be the first one to marry. Uh, so again, this is, this is divination, plain and simple. And it was real. I mean, it's not like... You know, and yeah, where you're chuckling, ha ha ha. Yeah, or like, like the bride, like you know, exactly. Yeah. yeah, when they throw the thing back, and yeah, everyone knows it's a joke. This was serious divining. Um, well, no Christian is going to go to a fall festival today and think that they're trying to divine who will be the first to marry. They they just understand that their child is trying to get an apple and and doing it in a fun way. Yeah, right. So again, something's ethical history does not determine its current day morality. Hope. We've repeated that enough that they're getting it. Um, this would be true for what we understand Halloween to be today in our culture. No doubt there are many who still try to practice Halloween uh, in its pagan sense. But if we are uh, going, if we're talking about dressing up a kid as a strawberry, <laughs> uh, I remember making with my son-in-law a button, a big honking button out of 
insulation, that pink insulation. And then we painted it and tied it on their baby. And she was cute as a button. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of cold though. Um, Or strawberry, as you said. (laughs) Um, uh, Trick-or-treating or or you're carving a pumpkin. We don't find that to be problematic at all. Uh, We're not defending against harassing uh, evil spirits when we do this. We're not trying to mimic impish, tyrannical gods. We're not trying to ward off avenging or revenging ghosts. No, it should be avenging ghosts from our house when we stack jack-o'-lanterns on our front porch. Rather, it's simply a public and very neutral holiday. It, um, it's what And what it means to biblical Christians is not what it meant to the Celts or the Catholics. Simply put, it's just a way to get free candy. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I will not deny my grandchildren that opportunity. Good man. In fact, I encourage my grandchildren and my, uh, I'm summarily ignored by my children, um, but I tell them, get a pillowcase. That's what we did when we were kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you ever hit each other as you're going from house to house and start having a pillowcase fight? Yeah, where of you're smack- Yeah. 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 Get these little and plastic. And that's great when you got like a couple apples in there because that, <laughs> that, that hurts. No. Candied apples are hard. Oh, if it's candy apple, sure. If it's a regular Back in apple, my day. That's getting thrown back. Well, see, but in my day, it wasn't. You would get uh, little baggies of popcorn and p- they would make popcorn balls and you would get all kinds of stuff. And then one day we had to throw all that stuff away because some dummy stuck a needle in something and yeah, you guys have never been able to enjoy the fruits of Halloween like I did. Oh, well. True. And then the we candy are, also the, started getting sun. Whoever invented fun-sized candy bars should be shocked. There's nothing fun about it. No. Yeah, it's like full-size or go home. Yeah, and it's usually old, stale, and okay. grody. And those people who give you one also should not celebrate Halloween. <laughs> You know, this is an opportunity to practice Christian generosity. Get your hand in there, stick a whole paw, and dump it in the kid. They will love you forever. Yeah. Then you can turn your light off quicker and enjoy yeah. the rest of your night. Yeah. So, all right. So, so now, most importantly, though, what does the Bible say about this this holiday of Halloween? And you ready for this? Nothing. It says absolutely nothing about Halloween, uh, and perhaps that is what makes it a challenge. So. So when the Bible doesn't speak directly to something, essentially what you have to do at that point is you have to now fall back and be controlled by biblical principles. And so we would ask the question, what is the principle here? Well, if there is nothing overtly sinful about it, which again, we would argue here it's not because trick-or-treating or carving pumpkins in our day, we think can be divorced entirely from those overt pagan practices. And in fact, they are. Yeah. Um, So... So, you know, we would say if there's nothing overtly sinful about them, then it comes down to an issue of the conscience. And this is ultimately where it has to land. In fact, this is where almost all gray areas in the Christian faith come down to. So what we're going to do is just give you a couple of passages, and you likely know them well. But you want to read this first one? The Romans 14 passage. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. The one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
That's a great statement, by the way. Um, one per- this is Romans 14, if I didn't mention that. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. He goes on, starting in verse 14. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing, that's a key word there, nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt and you're no longer walking according to love, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is in this way, or yeah, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace in the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they're evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Well, I think Max McLean's got some uh, competition there. Yeah. (laughs) Wouldn't it be awesome if you could read like him? Yeah, yeah, it would be. Hey, is this where you got your um, cocaine sermon from? No, um, out of... uh, First Timothy, but, but this is a key one because a lot of people don't know what Romans, the book of Romans is about. It's actually not about salvation, justification, union in Christ or any of those. It's actually the relationship of the Jew and the Gentiles together. It's a huge problem. And he's addressing that. That's actually the underlying issue that he wrote the letter. And it's because some, I mean, the Gentiles took over the church when the Roman uh, Romans kicked out all the Jews. Then the Jews came back, and they came back to a very different church. Mm-hmm. It would be kind of like in our culture, uh, a white church with a few African Americans in there, and then all the whites got kicked out for two, three years. We came back. It would be a very different worship style and everything else, and they were struggling with that. But imagine now they come to a, a meal, and there's ham. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, we don't need him," no. and how dare you? And and that whole thing. And then you got the Gentiles who are coming out of this pagan worship, and they're seeing things that are being uh, offered, and they're like, "I can't eat that because they're coming out of that pagan world." So, if you understand the context, you realize it's it's a huge. It's not an issue of food. It's an issue of worship and unity, and and uh, showing a yeah. love for one another and a preference for one another, but it's a great passage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and so here Paul is dealing, of course, as you said, with issues of food, vegetables, days, and wine. Um, and they're neutral things. These are all neutral things, and that's his point. But he also says that some cannot partake, perhaps, due to conscience, uh, and yet others have no issue with these things at all. And because they understand their freedom in Christ, and they understand these are simply neutral aspects of God's creation. Um, But the underlying principle is that all things must be done in faith. Um, And so to our point, if Halloween is not something that you can partake in with a clean conscience, then for you, it is sin. Uh, But for someone else who understands that there's nothing inherently evil 
in again dressing up as a ladybug <laughs> and collecting candy well they're free to partake uh truly and and there is nothing in scripture that forbids such a practice and especially if it can be done with thanksgiving let me throw one more thing in there um because he also talks about some eat anything and others will only eat uh, vegetables, but he points out that the one who's limiting what they eat for conscience sake, it's because they're weak Weaker. in their faith. Yes. It's not, you're not more godly. And I think this is one of the other errors that I see all the time with these holiday challenges is they, they look at the people who in good conscience are enjoying these things as gifts from God and that they, they can have fun and look at all the loot you got and everything else. Um, and they're, they're looking down their nose at times at them because they think we're more godly, when in fact, no, the fact that you are restricting yourself from that is fine because your conscience says you can't, but but it's actually because your faith is still weak. And so this is something, Lord willing, as time goes, and both the Jew and the Gentile, and in our case, yeah. um, whatever you, how, I don't know how to call them, but the people who think something's right or wrong, that as they both grow in their theology, the weak in faith should stop being weak in faith. So yes. it's not a good sign that you are now 88 and you're still glaring at people who have their child dress up in a ladybug and you're muttering about how you're giving into paganism, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a sign that you're um, stale in your growth, if you will. Yep, yeah. Um, that, that you stopped wanting to learn and study and grow. Yeah. It's just, I've come to my conclusion. This is my conviction and my conscience, and I'll just remain here and move on. And it also gets into the whole idea of even being just weak in your conscience of the, the person who's a legalist is not weak in their conscience. They're a legalist. So it's one thing when your conscience is really tender because you came out of a yeah, I mean, yeah. you were a high shaman, right? <laughs> and you were cracking bones and you were cutting open dead bodies to see which way a heart flopped. And you're like, boy, you know, this, this really bothers me. Um, that's, that's a person whose heart is really tender right now before the Lord. You want to encourage that tenderness, even as you strengthen them in their walk versus a guy who is just an angry old guy or lady who's just constantly you know, clucking their tongue and shaking their head and, and, and lecturing everybody. That's not one who's weak in conscience. That's one who is a legalist and that's separate too. That's a good distinction. Yeah. Well, I've had to deal with it and I had to work that out because I had this fight early on as a pastor and I'm like, whoa. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, another passage would be Colossians 1, 13 through 16. And then 20 through 23, he says, when you are dead in your transgressions and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Verse 20, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self 
made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Uh, now, in the context here, Paul is again dealing with issues of the Jewish religion. And again, it's that tension of Jew and Gentile. Um, the underlying principle, though, is the same for us. External practices have little to do with the true issues of the heart because that's where the sin actually resides. Um, in fact, in verse 23, that is what he means by fleshly indulgence. He is speaking of the issues of the flesh or that sin nature. So his point is that doing something or not doing something is not how you're going to battle with the sin within you. Yeah. Um, rather, it's been dealt with in Christ. As a result, you are now free to engage in certain practices because they're simply natural things or neutral things, too. Um, they are not what makes you holy or unholy, provided they are not something overtly sinful. Uh, so again, dressing your child up as a character, collecting candy, carving pumpkins, in themselves, they're just neutral practices. Abstaining uh, from them will not make you holy, and engaging in them will not make you unholy. What makes you unholy is your own flesh. So Paul says elsewhere in Galatians 5, 13 and 14, he says, you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, meaning that sinful uh, tendency, but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, and there Paul, again, he's explicitly dealing with these issues of Christian freedom. Um, and, and so, you know, whenever it comes to this topic, let's, there's a few things worth mentioning. Um, here in this passage in Galatians, uh, Paul's addressing circumcision, again, these Jewish issues. Uh, some thought it was still required for Christians to be circumcised. Um, but Paul's point is that Christians have been set free from the law. Now, now, we can use those freedoms to indulge the flesh, and we see Christians do this all the time. Um, but his point here is that a mature Christian understands that their entire reason uh, for being granted freedom is so that they might now use that freedom as a tool to serve others in bringing them the gospel. Um, and that's what's actually underlying uh, that whole principle of Christian freedom. It's, it's you're free to now serve in love is the way he phrases it. So, so God has set us free to love, and yet if we use that freedom as an excuse to fill our own passions, of course, that is sin. But if we use that freedom to bring the gospel, it's to an unbelieving world, it's, it's an honor to God. Um, and I would even say, if we can grasp that, we'll begin to understand how free we truly are. Uh, this is why Paul, in fact, can say to the Jews in 1 Corinthians 9, 20, that he became a Jew, um, and to the Gentiles, he became a Gentile. Um, he's been set free, but so that he might enter into any situation for the purpose of, of bringing the gospel. So to bring that to a present-day context, if he was among people who were more legalistic in, let's just use that term, and Paul was among them, he would, he would take on those legalisms for the sake of winning them to Christ. Um, not to have them stay in those legalisms, but that, that that's not the issue. The issue is you can get them free from those legalisms and they're still going to hell, right? right. But if he was with a, Jew, a Gentile, a person, or somebody celebrating Halloween and everything else, he would go dress up as a toad, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, look, that's not what we're going to stumble over. We're going to, if we're going to make them stumble, let's make them stumble over Christ. Yeah. He's, he's free to, he's free, free in fact to bring himself into that legalistic world so that those issues don't become a stumbling block to those people who need the gospel. And now once he's in there, he can begin, begin to teach um, and hopefully 
change their mind eventually. Um, so, so again, when it comes to Halloween, one of the applications of, of this pr principle is that since Halloween is no longer a day in which, you know, those overt practices of divination or mysticism or the occult are happening. In our culture. In our culture, yeah. yes. Uh, we are free, I would argue, to engage or pursue in Halloween activities as we understand them, and especially if it's for the purpose of bringing the gospel. Yeah, in other words, how about going trick-or-treating with your next-door neighbors, kids? Yeah, exactly. And and actually having fun with them, and, and, and instead of you're the weirdo that glowers at everybody. Yeah, look at that little ladybug. <laughs> you... <laughs> You wicked pig. <laughs> witch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's what, yeah, it's exactly what we would say. If your conscience allows, it's, it, it is a wonderful opportunity to think about how you might actually redeem the day, which is just a cultural day, and use it as what we would call a missional or evangelistic opportunity. So as you're saying, go to parties, go trick-or-treating, yeah. meet neighbors, invite coworkers. Uh, people love to dress up their children. So if you have children, uh, ask an unbelieving family to go with you. Um, in fact, I know one person who set up a hot apple cider station in his front yard during trick-or-treating, and his entire goal was to just meet neighbors and offer them a warm drink on a cold day. And he had a uh, children's version and an adult version of hot apple cider. Oh, I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Did, did he then give them candy? Well, the, he had candy at his house, but these are because people, you know, they walk around right, neighborhoods. Right, right, right. Yeah. So he had like... By the sidewalk. Yeah, no, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. But he wasn't then refusing candy for the kids and then dr dropping a gospel track instead, right? Oh, I got gotcha. Like a chick track. Yeah. Well, not that I'm aware of. No. I hope not. <laughs> so, I doubt it. It sounds like this is a pretty cool neighbor. Okay. So anyway, those, those are just some uh, quick thoughts on this. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a challenge to develop an entire theology of Christian freedom and conscience in one episode, but uh, here's our, our hot take. Is that the... Uh, the, the quip these days, hot take. Um, anyway, so we hope this is a bit of some help. I don't know. <laughs> you're asking me. I'm, I'm about 20 years behind the times. Yeah, you're just drinking your, what is that, 56 ounces of Mountain Dew right there? That's a iced tea, oh. unsweetened. Ah, gotcha. Um, so uh, next time we'll talk about something else. But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on Halloween. Not that you'll give us your thoughts, because apparently we ask you every time to give us your thoughts, and you won't give us your thoughts. But we are still asking. Yeah, yeah. That was my rant. Well, if you want to give us your thoughts, at least give us a five-star rating. Yes. Uh, leave us a review over at iTunes. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review on your platform of choice. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend. <laughs>